<laughs> and much like Bull Durham, this episode ended with a, an insane bout of horniness. <laughs> now really this did. now this may make the intro with no context at all. So they're not gonna know what the fuck's going on. <sighs> we should do this again sometime. There it is. There it is. Speaking of men barely making dents in the ecosphere, uh, I guess we should, or do we want to start with Bull Durham? Uh. Speaking of dead in Buffalo, when Harry met Sally. Uh, well played, sir. So, Kat, I think we were on a streak, I noticed. So, I noticed that, I think of the movies that we reviewed so far this season, I think... We were at like five that had at least four stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Harry Met Sally got four and a half, which is great. But I noticed that there was no Bull Durham rating. And okay, <laughs> so we're going to get to that in a moment. But let's talk about the four and a half for When Harry Met Sally first. But before we do, Kellen Conley. Let's hear some of your history with When Harry Met Sally. Because for me, this is one of my favorite movies ever. But I want to concede the floor to you to get us kicked off. Okay, well, my history with When Harry Met Sally was all from pop culture references until I watched it the other night for the first time. <laughs> You've never watched I'd it? I'd never watched it. I'd never watched it. And that is surprising considering how much I am a fan of the romantic comedy genre. And again, it's, it is in the cultural zeitgeist for rom-com movies. And it is the movie that gave like Nora Ephron the blank check to become Nora Ephron. Yes. Which is really wild because she only wrote it. It's yeah. very true. And I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Harry Metzali and Bull Durham, and I was gonna come in here and make a joke. I was going, that I watched Interstellar and uh, Memento, but now I guess that's ruined. I did watch Interstellar for the first time Jesus. yesterday, though. <laughs> I just never watched it, and it wasn't even me trying to avoid it, like I did Dirty Dancing for years mistakenly. It just like I just never sat and watched it, and then I watched, it. and then another the night I was like, all right, let me knock this out. I turned it on, and I was blown away. Like let I, me knock this out. Let me knock this. Yeah, wow. let me knock this out for the pod. The, what? Oh, here we go. Wow. Kellen said something wrong again. Uh. First, Serena Williams is trash. Now this. <laughs> That's not what I said. Jesus. That's not what I said. Well, listeners, I'm not going to give any context to this, but listen to the last episode of Rasselcast Power Hour to get that joke. Our sister uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, but I didn't see your rating for it, Kellen. So Kat is at four and a half stars. I'm at five stars. What is your official letterbox rating for When Harry Met 
Sally Albright. Five stars. Oh. But I'm I'm way more lenient with my stars than you guys are. So, I mean, I gave Bridget Jones's diary five stars. So you gotta take that into consideration. Well, in fairness, the first one, right? The, the first, first one, yeah. Stellar, a stellar Jane Austen pastiche. Yes. Truly, I think among among the top tiers of like modernizing bullshit. Mm-hmm. I gave it four and a half. So Bridget Jones' diary is fucking fire. It, Come on, it, so. it is, man. It slaps. It didn't work out with Daniel Cleaver. No, it didn't. I'm delighted to hear it. Look, are you and Cosmo in this together? I mean, you seem to go out of your way to try to make me feel like a complete idiot every time I see you. And you really needn't bother. I already feel like an idiot most of the time anyway. With or without a fireman's pole. That'll be my taxi. Good night. Look, um, I'm sorry if I've been... What? I don't think you're an idiot at all. I mean, there are elements of the ridiculous about you. Your mother's pretty interesting. And, and you really are an appallingly bad public speaker. And um, you tend to let whatever's in your head come out of your mouth without much consideration of the consequences. I realized that when I met you at the turkey curry buffet that I was unforgivably rude and wearing a reindeer jumper that my mother had given me the day before. But the thing is, um, what I'm trying to say very inarticulately is that, um, in fact, perhaps despite appearances, I like you very much. Uh, apart from the smoking and the drinking and the vulgar mother and the verbal diarrhea. No, I like you very much. Just as you are. It's less, but I always, like, in, compared to y'all fine podcast, movie, and film critics that you are, like, my, my stars, like, it don't take much, man. Like, I gave Adventures in Babysitting five stars. <laughs> so, I mean, you know what I gave Showgirls, right? You know what I gave Showgirls, right? Five stars. Cinematic achievements. <laughs> I mean, camp. Cat's neck is cramping. <laughs> So, my eyes uh, roll any further back you'll never see them again all right Undertaker. Five, five fucking stars but cat <laughs> so everybody cat, got aids out here and shit <laughs> everybody got aids and shit <laughs> <laughs> bitch i'm telling you the truth <laughs> that's that movie's a every classic. every week i'm like i can do this podcast without having a drink and every week i'm wrong <laughs> I mean, I do wrestle casts over, believe it or not. <sighs> right. So there's that. that it must be wild. nice to, to <laughs> be able to do that. It's tough. It's tough. But speaking of the nice, Kat, why'd you give Harry Metali four and a half stars? For starters, I know that it's like a Rob Reiner movie, but like, shut up, that's a Nora Ephron movie. The I, interiors, the apartments are definitely Nora Ephron all over it. Everything so. is Nora Ephron. It feels like a Nora Ephron movie. And that's great. I love that. I really liked the characters. I thought they were very good. I thought they were very believable. I thought they meshed very well. I thought the comedy was really sharp. It felt like Billy Crystal, but not like Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal. Mm -hmm. Not like, ah, Billy Crystal. Like, you know, there was (laughs) no fun mom shoulders happening. 
but like it was still Billy Crystal. Hilarious. Um, it is hilarious. It was a believable love story that I got to watch happen mm-hmm. yeah. between two people who became friends and then became more than friends. And I just love the flow of it. I think the the movie really passes that like vibe check. Oh, the pacing is phenomenal in this, in yeah. the whole film. And it's like, a tight ninety three minutes. Right, right. It flew it flew by. I turned it on at like eleven something. The next thing I knew, and, it was like twelve thirty. And the friends are that like the I love I love Carrie Fisher. We stand most. for Carrie Fisher always. I kind of wish they got like their own like spinoff series. <laughs> like I would watch just a TV show about them decorating that apartment. <laughs> that house at least worth the series i think so the only reason that i gave it a half star is there are a couple moments that i would describe as like seam lines where i felt i don't know if they were rewrites or studio notes because mm-hmm. initially it doesn't actually end with them getting together it ends with the like i hate you i hate you being sincere mm. Mm. and and the idea that like she has put up with so much hurt from him because he won't talk to her. And, and like, I don't want to say that would be better, but I wish there was a little just more smoothness between, like, I hate you, I hate you, and, like, making out. Yeah. It was still a great landing, but it was a little bumpy. The only thing that I docked it a half star for, and if they had quarter stars on Letterboxd, it would only be a quarter star, but they don't. I think that would, if we just didn't get their resolution, I think the film would feel a bit incomplete. Like, we would want to know, like, they have to do something to end the, to land oh, this plane. I think what the the end of the plane was them being friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just being friends. And and there aren't many movies that do that. And I think that could have been really interesting. But also, like, there aren't a lot of movies that do that. And that's probably, like, for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how that lands or if if it ends that way in in 1989s. I think I think it would have been really interesting. I just wish that the transition to this is the script I submitted where they're not friends to or like they're just friends to they're in love right in that ending scene was just a little I don't know if we needed a little more. I wanted to see more of her reaction because he's giving this really intense speech and I feel like we don't see her during it at all. We see her after. Right, right. Maybe that's what I needed. There's just one bit to me that made that ending a little, a a little like 9 out of 10, when everything else was a 10 out of 10. Okay. And in a movie like this, that landing's important. I think the concept of being friends with exes, uh, that's, that's, I think that's, I think that's very complicated. And I Mm -hmm. think if this movie would have tried to delve into that, I think that it would have been a, a bit too much, but I get what you're kind of saying. I get what you're saying. No, and I, even I, 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 I don't necessarily think I want that ending. Like yeah. I'm not advocating for that, but I'm advocating for there needs to be a little bit more of a transition point. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can totally see that. What their idea was and where they actually decided to land the plane. I think the difference again is, is when it came out because in today's day and age, we kind of like me again. I was watching it for the first time of the night, and I mean, I knew they ended up together, but I knew she's like, I hate you, I hate you. Then they're going to start making out. I felt that coming. I had been trained to expect that from romantic comedies for years and years, where the, the, the final scene, everything comes back together and everything, and, and the kissing and the hugging and the joyful tears and all that. So I was expecting that. So I think, again, our mind is so trained to, to see that coming 
that for it to have gone another way, it would have left audiences then and us a little bit cold, honestly. Now, now oh. if you added an extra 10, 15 minutes to try to bring them back together after she gives a, like, I hate you, I hate you. And like, if you do another like Tom jump and it's like, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we've resolved our differences. We're together. And but this is the standard work. for that, though. This yeah. set the standard for that. Every every rom-com mm-hmm. after this is chasing this film. Yeah, and, yeah, and also, I, I would argue, like, When Harry Met Sally is an excellent film. I also watched it for the first time this week. But I think if this movie had not succeeded, we would have been robbed of a lot of classics. Oh, you're not kidding. Yeah. Like, you're not a, kidding. Especially, especially the Nora Ephron classics, who Nora Ephron then paves the way for Nancy Myers, who then paves, like, I know it's kind of cliche to be like, oh, like paving the way for women directors and their romances. But like, <laughs> that's kind of what happened because of this movie. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Nora Ephron was an executive producer and a writer. She was on set every day. She was helping to facilitate those moments. And it feels, feels like, I feel a lot of women, women's touch on the film too. You can definitely yeah. feel. Oh yeah. And I mean, like to me, this is maybe like, We'll talk about this in Bull Durham a little bit, where I feel like that movie has a, quite a few instances of men writing women syndrome. And not in a bad way, just in a, in a, it, it is what it is way. Yes. And I feel like this has some of the best writing of male characters I've ever <laughs> experienced. Yeah. And it was very all written solid by a characters. lady, which I think is very interesting. What I really like about this is, again, it, it's the OG rom-com that was the, recipe for all the rom-coms that came after it in the 90s so getting to see a master at work was really interesting for me because i again i'd never seen it it's part of pop culture i'd seen the orgasm in the diner scene a million times i had heard some of the snappy dialogue and a couple of the quotes but i'd never actually seen meg and billy together on screen for real or rather harry and sally and their chemistry bro yo is just so good even in that first scene when they're driving in the car where Sally can't stand him is is pretty spot on, man. And and he is a complete he's he's a total jerk, like the whole trip. Can a man say a woman is attractive without it being a come on? All right, all right. Let's just say, just for the sake of argument, that it was a come on. What do you want me to do about it? I take it back, okay? I take it back. You can't take it back. Why not? Because it's already out there. Oh, geez, what are we supposed to do? Call the cops, it's already out there. Just let it lie, okay? Great, let it lie. That's my policy. That's what I always say. Let it lie. Want to spend the night in a motel? See what I did? I didn't let it lie. Harry. I said I would and then I didn't. Harry. I went the other way. Harry. What? We are just going to be friends, okay? Great, friends. It's the best thing. You realize, of course, that we can never be friends. Why not? What I'm saying is, and this is not a come on in any way, shape, or form, is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. That's not true. I have a number of men friends and there is no sex involved. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You only think you do. You're saying I'm having sex with these men without my knowledge? No, what I'm saying is they all want to have sex with you. They do not. Do too. They do not. Do too. How do you know? Because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? 
No, you pretty much want to nail him, too. He's like, blah, blah, blah. And like, he's like, you're going with my friend. He's like, so. And then he's like, guys can't be friends with girls because all they want to do is worry about, mm-hmm, you know, and 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 it's true. It's a conversation that so has come up so many times, whether men and women can actually be friends without uh, sex getting involved. It's always been an issue throughout the tale as old as time, if we say that. So to see that manifested as early, so to speak, is 87 and it be done so well, obviously woman writer. So that makes a lot of sense about how these characters speak. It It's just a nice picture of how a friendship can grow unexpectedly and then more feelings can come. And while I can see Kat's point of view about it being a, a neat little tidy bow put on it at the end where she goes from hating him to making out at New Year's, I still feel like it's a very organic story. And I, and I love a well-told organic story. It really feels like this movie could not have been made with any other group of people. Yeah. I know that Billy Crystal ad-libbed lines that made it in, and so did Meg Ryan, because they both understood the vibe of the character. And, like, Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal kind of almost had this relationship, not, like, the the romantic aspect of it, but, like, they would fall asleep on the phone with each other, especially after his divorce and stuff like that. Watching and so movies. Like, yeah, yeah, I Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like that back and forth exists in such a way that built on what was already a really good script. Yeah. And I don't know that, you know, if it was Julia Roberts instead of Meg Ryan, that this movie would have, have worked at all or someone else instead of Billy Crystal. Like, I don't think it could have ever, it might've baked into a good cake, but (laughs) it would not have like become the, the cake defining cake. Yeah, yeah, that's perfectly said. Before I go any further, is Billy Crystal hot in this movie, or is it just me? <laughs> is it just Hilarious. me? Because I'm looking at him, and even even Bearded Billy, I've always been a fan of Bearded Billy, and then when he shaved back down, I was like, this is Billy Crystal. And I've always known Comic Relief Billy Crystal, you know, Monsters, Inc. Billy Crystal, but I, I think he's actually attractive in this movie. Is it just me? <laughs> he's definitely got the charisma. Like, I get, I get what you're saying. I just, because of the timing in which I was born, I'm like, ah, yes, Mike Wazowski. And that is, like, first by so much. When we were waiting for the uh, 2020 election, like, mail-in stuff, my dad and I were like, we need to not watch the news. We are super frazzled. We are super overstimulated. So Mm -hmm. we, like, our immediate response was, let's watch Monsters, Inc., (laughs) <laughs> so like that's kind of like it, that's where it exists in my brain which makes perfect sense so like i struggle to see him as hot uh, i also think i know like mr saturday night billy crystal like i like like broadway billy crystal who mm-hmm. like also doesn't feel like a real person yeah and even though he does feel like a real person in this movie to me i'm like ah it's billy crystal acting like a real person so like, I think, I think Harry is hot. I also like he's kind of a sexist piece of shit. So like, eh. early, uh, early on bit. Harry. For sure. Even, even, even later, he does some things. That oh yeah, I mean, would even, for sure make my skin crawl. I um, mean, he walked out on on his best friend after they they finally, you know, they they coitused. <laughs> yeah, that's a way to describe that what was had happened. Choice. It was, it was. Um, I don't know why I was there. I just went for it. So, I think so, the character is hot. I think so, Billy Crystal does not add or take away from the hotness. Okay, Harry but I is think hot. He he is a non-factor in the character's hotness. 
which probably <laughs> works out in his favor because usually he is a detriment to sex appeal. So the answer is no from Kat. She did, she gave a great way of just saying no. And I guess I'm the tiebreaker. Ooh. <laughs> I, 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 pivot, I pivot to saying Harry is hot versus Billy Crystal. So is Harry hot in this movie? Mm. Yes, but Meg Ryan is so hot. Yeah, like, the hottest I've ever seen Meg Ryan, honestly. The I, hottest she's ever been in. I love Meg Ryan. Greg said when we were watching the movie, he was like, I'm not trying to tell you that you're going to relate to Sally. But as I we are watching bits of this and I am remembering the things that are going to happen subsequently, I will be interested to see if you relate to this character. <laughs> okay. And like... Son of a bitch, I do. Like, <laughs> uh, <I> mean... <laughs> and and one of the things that I have always liked about movies, as they relate to me, I do not always excel at self-esteem. But it's always interesting because when I see characters who are a lot like me in movies, I am able to love them, flaws and all. Mm, yeah. And I think that not only is she just she's beautiful in this movie and she is emotional and she is radiant. But like, I was looking funny (laughs) and I was looking, but I was like looking at her apartment and I was like, that looks nice. Like, Mm -hmm. and I was looking at the way she like orders food, which is very similar to how like I order food. Oh, wow. And like, I was like, all right. And that didn't take away from the fact that she was like the hottest she's ever been. Yeah, absolutely not. And and so it's always nice when there are characters that like I do relate to that I don't make me hate myself. Uh, that <laughs> probably was not the most elegant way to say that. Oh, it's true. If it's true, it's true. Fuck it. And I agree. It's it's her. And I do think this is the best that she has ever looked mm-hmm. in film. But it, the thing is, it's really not just the surface. Like. It's really her embodying, like... It's the whole character. ...who this person is and creating it and giving it life. I legit think it's her best role. Also, like, Meg Ryan with curls. Like, Meg Ryan with yeah. curls? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Literally, well, I... Okay. I'm going to make one counter-argument to this is the hottest she's ever been. Okay. And uh, this is a very different type of hotness. In the cut? no uh alas no but i think the character her her character in top gun i know top gun nostalgia is strong with this group but like she walks into from a in my opinion a fairly lifeless movie to that point it's like dorothy going into oz for the first time all of a sudden the movie's in color as soon as I saw her and I saw her with Goose, I went, shit, they're going to kill Goose because we just saw the center of Goose's universe. Mm-hmm. And now, as movies do, they're going to just emotionally total this beacon of light. Yep. And that's what they do. But, like, she comes into this movie and, like, it's like time stood still. I could look at her, you know, like, shouting at him forever. And, like, she's <laughs> playing, like, she's presented as kind of a ditz. She's not in the movie for very long. But, like, I think that there's this time, maybe it's before she's Meg Ryan, where she plays a lot more self-conscious characters through the 90s. Her character in You've Got Mail is very self-conscious. Very. Mm-hmm. I think in When Harry Met Sally and also in Top Gun, 
these characters are very uninhibited. So, like, Harry makes fun of her for how she orders her food, but she just likes it the way that she likes it, and she will not be made to feel bad about that. In Top Gun, she just fucking loves her husband so much, and she will not be made to feel bad about that. There's, like, an openness there that goes away over over the rest of her performances. And I don't know if that's just because of how the characters are scripted and what directors wanted to do with her, or if she made, like, a conscious effort to make a change. Hmm. But you, you make a good point I, there. I think that openness is the thing that really makes me like I would crawl on on a floor full of hot coals for one like glance from specifically those two movies, Meg Ryan. Yes. You know, the movie I thought of that may actually top it. And I don't think you've seen this movie, Kat. Kellen, do you remember IQ from 94? Oh, wow. (laughs) It's been a long time. But yeah, I remember IQ. Now, that movie's not really good. She, the premise of it is she is Albert Einstein's niece. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to stop you right there. So Albert Einstein, uh, played by Walter Matthau. Oh, Tim Robbins. Yeah, I was going to say local, local mechanic Tim Robbins has fallen in love with Albert Einstein's niece and wants to impress her. So it's it, it's cute. It's not good. It's cute, but she actually looks really beautiful in that movie. Her she, her hair's giving giving me Sharon Stone from Basic Instinct vibes, though. Uh, uh, I mean, hey, so you you just I mean, the pot right there, buddy. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, listen, that is a listen situation. I think we all love when Harry met Sally. I think for me. It's one of those movies that I saw at a pretty impressionable age, and on my top hundred movies, it's coming at number twenty-two. Ooh, so, good uh, number, good bef- strong number. Before I saw Before Sunset, this was my favorite rom-com of all time. I've never watched any of the Sunset movies. I need to. I need to get on that. The the Sunset trilogy is pretty good. Mm-hmm. They were in talks to do the fourth one, but who knows? That's actually going to happen. But I love the Before trilogy. But yeah, this is a movie that was always special to me. Always funny. Always at the right spot. The autumn, changing the foliage, and then walking and talking to the park. Like, watching the cinematography that, is chef's kiss, man. Chef's kiss, man. It's so New York. Such a New York movie. Yeah, it makes me nostalgia for fall. Like, it makes mm-hmm. me nostalgia for autumn. So, right. they definitely were with the shits on this one. <laughs> it's also just a really good New York movie. There's no this movie without New York. Yeah. Yeah, any other setting, I don't, I don't think it hits the same. You can't shoot this movie in San Francisco or or Austin, Texas, or even Alaska. It, it, it needs New York as a character just as much as you need Harry and Sally. You know, the funny thing, Sleepless in Seattle, that's not really a Seattle movie, but where does that, where does that movie end up on? I don't remember. <laughs> God damn. Where's it in? Uh, damn. The Empire State. Yeah, uh, and, and that's in New, New York. York. Yeah. Jeez. I, I, I've never been a big Sleepless fan. I've always been a You've Got Mail guy. So I've only watched Sleepless like maybe twice. Watched You've Got Mail a bunch. Threw the alley off the backboard and hit your head. God. <laughs> hit my head, jump. Hit, hit my head as I jumped. Yep, sure did. So, sorry, man. Hey, what's up, everybody? WWE Hall of Famer, the Godfather here. 
Special shout out to B Hyphen and Handsome Bane for the Rasselcast Power Hour, and it's available everywhere podcasts or streams. So, everybody, check them out. You know, the Godfather will. And it's time once again for everybody at the Hyphen Podcast Group to come aboard the whole train. Smell your latest sweaty marks. Let us pivot to Bull Durham. After 12 years in the minor leagues, I don't try out. Besides, uh... I don't believe in quantum physics when it comes to matters of the heart. What do you believe in then? Well, I believe in the soul. The cock, the pussy, the small of a woman's back, the hanging curveball, high fiber, good scotch, that the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. Good night. Good night. So now, Cat. So we were on a streak. We were on a good streak of '80s films. Now, when we hit Bull Durham, though, I think we we may have hit a little hiccup with you. Now, you have given it four stars on the Letterbox app. Mm-hmm. So that so that's a good step. But your review of this was men writing women with an incredible, <laughs> incredibly charming ending. So. That, that's okay. That's we're we're in a good space, but we're gonna give you the floor and let you talk about 1988's Bull Durham. If the first ten minutes were tighter written, it would be like four and a half movie for me. Wow. Um. You really don't like the intro. No, I don't. I even rewatched it. I bought it again to make sure <laughs> I wasn't just like wiling out. It's on Tubi for free. Yeah, I didn't want to sit it's also 25 unprom. minutes of ads. Gee. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this correctly. Okay. Get, get um, that shit out of here. Get that weak shit out of here. Is that what you want to so, say? So, uh, I'm not opposed to sexually empowered women. I am not opposed to any of the stuff. Like, the content of what that speech is is fine. Okay. I would go so far as to say it's surprisingly progressive. The fact that it is presented as the male fetish version of that rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Because at no point in the movie is she presented as that. Like, everybody knows. But when he is talking about, like, his other eyes, like, all the guys in the dugout are like, he he isn't using his, his other eyes, like, on the back of his head. Like, they all know. They understand what this woman does. She is respected. She has ball boys passing notes to them. She's clearly, like, basically part of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is an institution, and the men honestly respect the shit out of her. But that opening speech doesn't. That opening speech is written like a guy, like, describing his dream girl with a pen in one hand and a dick in the other. He's like, yeah, she she watches baseball, uh, and, she, and she's hot, uh, and she dresses like it's the 1950s, because, like, she's also my hot mom. Uh, I, 
you said a lot of beautiful things on this here podcast, <laughs> but I legitimately think that may be the greatest thing you've ever said. I I fucking love it. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and the other thing that I noticed, and I think the thing that upset me so much, is like the rest of the movie doesn't treat her that way. Yes. So yes. it's not even in line with what the town thinks of her. It'd be one thing if they were like, and the whole town thinks she's a whore. No. Yeah. The tone of it is so like just lascivious. Even though she's describing herself, it's like weirdly voyeuristic and dirty. And again, I think the the for like the content of what she's delivering is legitimate. She's like, basically, I date baseball players and I fuck them into being better men, and then they go play baseball better somewhere and they else. Leave me. Yep. And she's just like, that's what I'm here to do, and I'm good at it. But the way that it's like, ah, I like baseball. Ah. <laughs> I don't know, bro. <laughs> Yo, viewership just went up ten grand right there. I'm, I'm a kind of, kind of surprised that she went for a pitcher. She seems like more of a bat lady, but I thought you were gonna say catcher. Go for that joke, boy. Hey, no, <laughs> I try to subvert expectations, unlike the intro to this fucking movie. Uh. Ah, hey. Stone Cold Stunner, Jesus. Mm. The plot of this movie is Crash learning that he was wrong for judging this woman like this. Mm. And just, like, being hot, but definitely designed to be played by Kurt Russell, which it was supposed to be Kurt Russell. And the fact hey. that it's not Kurt Russell upset me increasingly as uh. the movie went on. Uh, Kurt Russell, Ooh. tie me to the headboard and paint my toenails. That's a great question. It, would this movie had been better if it was Kurt Russell? I know for Five, five star movie. Well, okay. I, <laughs> I think yes, because I think that Kurt Russell is better able to deliver a range. And I think that uh, our our dear friend, it's what, Kevin Costner? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's his name. Our, what our, a no-sell. What a no, no-sell. No Kevin Costner love? God damn. Well, I will say that I really like him in the scenes that he does with Nuke. I think he's really solid in those interactions. But also, I think he he does this thing and it's like it's a, it's an emotional gear shift where I can see him like moving the shift in his brain to like be like, "Oh, I'm upset now." And I was just like, "Oh god, okay." Like <laughs> he's he doesn't flow super organically, which works fine in the scenes where like they're throwing a ball or they're like write it fucking down, like, whatever. Like, when there's kind of, like, another thing for him to be doing, it's way less noticeable. But, like, in that first scene where it's just the three of them talking and she's trying to figure out which one of them she's going to take on as her prospect for the season, I was like, oh, this is going to be a long movie if things do not improve. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it. Costner is the type of person who might, like, actually hear this podcast and start sending me death threats on twitter so uh well no he please don't a, tag him well i i appreciate your performance mr costner i thought it was fucking great i love that you and susan Sarandon are basically mom and dad to nuke and i really appreciate how you guys fight and you know fuck later but 
<laughs> I think as the the movie goes on, he gets better. But I think for like the first third, he is, in my opinion, the losing combination of things, which is unlikable and uninteresting. Uh, and then he like blossoms into at least interesting, and then he kind of denouements into likable. But I think that I would have had more buy-in if it had been Kurt Russell or, like, I'm trying to think, like, Harrison Ford or, like, someone else. Not, but you know the, like, the type of guy that I mean, where he's got a little bit more, I think, like, innate charisma from the jump. I think that would have made the buy-in a little less severe for me. Because so, I really like where we end up, but I so dislike where we start. So, Kellen, just like before, we need a tiebreaker. So, Kellen, where are you... Well, one, Kellen, where are you falling on Kevin, his performance? And then also, where are you falling on, should you have him or Kurt Russell? Okay, I'll take the Kurt Russell question first. Uh, Kurt Russell? <laughs> wow. Bro, I've always loved Kurt, Kurt Russell. I've loved him from the first days I laid eyes on him on Overboard, man. I was like, yo, Kurt Russell's dope. Kurt, and then look, Big Trouble in Little China came out, and then, and then obviously you know how I feel about the it. Both of those episodes are recorded on this very podcast. Go listen to them, guys. But, also, it was written for him. It, which you makes tell. so much more sense to me. So much more sense to me. I did he not know to- this little fact. He used to play baseball. This is a woman that the writer and Kurt Russell, like, heard of. She was, like, an urban legend. She was the the sexy chubacabra of baseball. I like the idea of someone with a little more history doing this. Yeah. I don't think he's the weakest part of the movie. I think it's pretty obvious that I think it's the intro. But I think (laughs) that he gives a pretty solidly, like, three-and-a-half-star performance, which is good, but I think that... Someone else might have been able to give a little bit more of a five-star performance. I do think Kevin Costner's hot, though. So we know, Kelly, we know your thoughts on the battle between Kevin Costner and Russell. Russell, Mm -hmm. But now we need to know your thoughts on the actual Kevin Costner performance in this film. He was all right. He was all right. But But let me tell you something, Mark Robb. I've never thought that highly of Kevin Costner in general. I always thought he was okay. For this real. is an anti-Kevin Costner hour? I mean, Holy shit. I mean, I... I All right, I, I guess I, the podcast is over because you are draw, taking this really hard. He doesn't draw me in. He's never drawn me in. Like, Field of Dreams is cool. Tin Cup, I do love me some Tin Cup. Tin Cup uh, is fucking boss. I agree. I do love me some Tin Cup. It's this one of my favorite the- sports films, honestly. <laughs> I do think this is the only Kevin Costner movie I've ever seen. I am just Whoa. confirming that real quick, but I'm about 85% sure I'm correct on that. I can't sleep on Wide Earp, though. He was dope in Wide Earp. Can't uh, sleep on that. Bodyguard? Untouchable? Never watched watch Bodyguard. You've never watched Bodyguard. <laughs> Draft Day was okay. I've never watched Dra- Bodyguard, no. Draft Day was okay? Draft Day was okay. <laughs> you never watch Bodyguard, but you watch Draft Day? <laughs> Jeez. Hey, oh, hey, Rumor Hazard is, is awful. I can't stand Rumor Hazard. So that movie really wasted Kevin Costner for me. Waterworld, no thanks. I've just never I've just never been impressed by Kevin Costner. So he was okay in this movie. You said Rumor has it. Like anyone knows who that fucking movie is. What the hell? Hey, the people who know who watch Friends know Jennifer Aniston was in it. So there's that. Jesus. Christ. Also, 
This is my first viewing of this movie, by the way. I've never watched Bull Durham until this pod. The two having... movies I'd never seen, but I watched mm-hmm. just for this pod. We are having some revelations here, boy. <laughs> wow. Damn. Let me defend Kevin Costner just a slight bit. Somebody's got to do it. Because y'all motherfuckers not. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's all right. Yeah, he's so he, fine. He's good. He's charming. He's a dick, but he's a great dad in this movie. I mean, he. Yeah, like I said, by the end, yeah, I Yeah, what dad I didn't like... let his son F his mom <laughs> in the movie. Whoa. Whoa. You just said <laughs> there is mom and dad. Can I give just like one very genuine compliment about his performance in this movie, or at least his willingness to like let a thing happen in this movie? Yes, I'm waiting Uh, for it. The whole last 10 minutes where it's just them fucking and being incredibly like tender with each other. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of sports movies and action movies, and he's very clearly a sports and action guy. Men are very rarely, like, willing to be, like, vulnerable like that and, like, shown as, like, a loving partner. Like, they might have a, like, I saw my mom get hit by a bus and that's why I can't play baseball today. (laughs) But they never have – you never see, like, a healthy relationship with people that love each other that presumably lasts. Yeah. And I think that that tenderness is really the thing that brought this up to a four-star movie for me. The best part of this movie is when he gets cut. Like yep, at, from like, then on, I'm all in. And, yeah. and I'm all in on his performance from then on because it seems like all of a sudden he's like, oh, I know how this would feel. I can, like, do this. Yeah, the moment that Nuke tells him he's going to majors and then they have that scene and everything from there, that's the best performance of the movie for me. So from there on, he's a great actor. Yes, he, he does his, the damn thing the rest of the movie. Yeah, but it or, does take... Two acts to get there. Yeah. Jesus. But I also, like, I I really can't think of a movie with a stronger third act recovery. I Touché. Like, the, fir- the first two acts, I'm like, oh, this is, like, good. And then, like, the ending, I was, like, leaning forward. I was all in. I wanted to know what was going to happen. I wanted it to be a happy ending. Like, I And was... her narration was so good. So yeah. good at the end of the movie compared yeah. to the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Because I also hated the intro of the movie as well, Kat. So I'm glad you said that, too. I was so, like, what are we watching? <laughs> that's, yeah. It brought it back around to a four-star for me. But without that ending, or if it had even been a weaker ending, it probably would have been a three-star entry for me. And the funny thing is, the ending has very little to do with sports, but the ending makes this entirely like one of my favorite sports movies ever. On the top 100, it should be on there somewhere. That ending is is pretty special. You don't get a lot of, well, I don't think you get any sports movie that has that level of intimacy interwoven in any part of the movie whether it's the first second or third act so yeah you know daddy love them dismounts they really know the dismount on that one <laughs> yeah so speaking of sports movies cat i know your relationship with baseball in general so what are your kind of thoughts on i guess baseball sports in this movie and how they all kind of like intertwine yeah so i am not generally a huge sports movie person but i am almost always down for a baseball movie okay And I was trying to, like, hash out why that is. And I think that it is because I have realized that baseball is kind of the ultimate cinematic movie. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. experience 
as a sport. I'm sure someone else has like explained this better, but like I literally figured it out on, on in the car on the way home from like the supermarket earlier today. So whatever, <laughs> bear with me. Hey. Nice. But the reason that I think I like baseball movies so much, like even taking the sport out of it is that baseball has all these pockets for drama. Like yes, into the format. Yeah. So the main like game quote unquote of baseball is a standoff between two people. Right. And it's really up to you which two people those are. Bull Durham makes it about the tension between a pitcher and a catcher. Mm-hmm. And that's the standoff. It's yeah. what if your pitcher doesn't trust your catcher and that dynamic. But it could also be what if this hitter screwed your girlfriend and you have to pitch to him now or whatever. Yeah. You know, like it's it that is a setup for great tension. But there's also the dugout, which can provide commentary. There's also the like move like the game is based around stagnation and also movement. So it allows for a lot of like moments to happen unlike hockey or even basketball where like movement is so much more of what happens. I was trying to think, like, is Bull Durham, like, a sports movie? Aha, that's the question. And I think it is a sports movie, but it's mostly a baseball movie. And not because it is about baseball, but because its setting is baseball. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot more of those scenes are like, I would actually pay good money to see this reimagined as a play. Oh, wow. Mm. I- I'd go um, see that, too. I agree. Like, I think this could be really well done as a play and uh, straight up you could do it minimalist just build a couple bleachers move them around in different configurations for different settings mm-hmm. but like the scenes with nuke and crash as catcher and pitcher could just be two people on stage like yes baseball is it's it's the setting more than it is anything else the tension between them is not actually about the game yeah it's it, it's about the game but like as a concept as a household god, whatever you want to call it. It's not about like your wrist was too tight when you threw to number thirty-one. Yeah, he's he's really trying to grow him into a into a man. Yeah, and so he's and really they trying both to successfully do that too. Yeah, well, we can tell by the end of the movie at least he's yeah. only a just got to major, so who knows what happens from there. But like you see that clip of him giving the interview, and he is he's using the exact Every lines, cliche. and people yeah. are eating it up. So, like, yes, it's about, like, baseball, but it's about, like, baseball, the place, the setting, the idea, the minutia of baseball, more than it is about, like, and then we won the championship. Right. Which, like, to me is what, like, a sports movie is. Mm -hmm. Like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, Miracle is a sports movie. Like, 100%, yes. the, The Way Back, which I did not enjoy marketed itself as a basketball movie, but it is not a basketball movie. It is a movie about a guy trying to deal with his problems through coaching a basketball team. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is not a sports movie. This falls in this weird place where so much of it is baseball iconography that it is a baseball movie, but I'm not sure it's a sports movie in the way that we like consider sports movies. Um, I, I agree with that because it's a romantic comedy that's hidden within the sports film idea. And of course, as much as it's about Annie and Crash's relationship and how they come to fall for each other, even though they're not really together for the first two uh, two acts of the movie, um, it's also about Crash and Nuke's relationship too, and them growing together and 
again, the father-son relationship, which you talked about, and everything that Nuke learned from Crash, and the things that Crash learned from Nuke, honestly, because Crash, let, let's just get right to the shits. Like, Crash wanted to hook up with it, or Nuke wanted to hook up with Annie. All this crashing and nuking. Nuke was like, hey, let's let's just get hooked up, or whatever. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to tie you down. And and then, he, like, the next day, everybody's like, oh, Annie chose him. He's like, yeah, I didn't get any sleep. She just tied me up. And we didn't do nothing, like, the whole night and stuff. So, like, there's all these little lessons and these these romantic scenes between these two pairs, and there's fighting on one side uh, between the boys, and there's fighting between Annie and and Crash, and then and then Crash and and then of course Nuke won't have sex with Annie, which makes her mad <laughs> and stuff. So they're fighting over that because he's on a winning streak. So it's this constant ebb and flow between these two relationships. And then when the son leaves the nest and go gets caught up to the majors, that's when mom and dad realize, okay, well. You know, we, we have been acting kind of silly, and then also Crash gets cut, and he's like, I have nowhere to go. I really do appreciate all of that to to bring the film together. So I don't necessarily feel like it's a true sports movie, but for sure the romantic comedy is there. And because, one thing I've always loved about baseball, it's the things that happen in between the pitches that make, so, make up so much of the game for me. So people's like, how can you sit there and watch this baseball game for four, four hours? Like, there's just so much stuff going on. It's like, yeah, but they're literally just ball strike, ball strike. There, there's just so much more to it. And uh, the attention spans of the day makes it so hard for people to even look for it. But when you know what you're doing and you can just sit back and watch all the little pieces of the game, there's a lot to be found there. And this movie is able to weave in and out of the games and, and tell a very good story the whole way through. Yeah, the relationships matter. The competition doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So. Perfect. Mark Rob just summed up all that talking I did. Good job. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk a little bit about Tim Robbins in this movie, though? We sure can, buddy. I only say that because, honestly, I've seen Tim Robbins in a lot of stuff. And because Shawshank has just always dominated everything ever since I saw that, I don't remember too many other of his performances being that memorable. I mean, I forgot he was even in IQ with Meg Ryan. So there's that. But Nuke is so good in this movie, man. Like, I, I really feel like he brought like all aspects other than that, that crazy intro to him, of course, when he when he's hooking up with Millie in the back um, and then he pitches like shit. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's part of the character. But to see him to go in there with these seasoned actors so to speak because i mean I, he was still pretty young in his career i would think when when he can, started this can yeah, i go just ahead. The, the payoff of the the hitting of the mascot <laughs> the fact that that became something that paid off and like yeah. what initially became like oh like he has no control to Oh, he has a huge amount of control. He has full control. But like now. it's doing it's doing the same stupid thing. Right. Uh yeah. is like I am so grateful that that paid off in yes. like an uh, an interesting and meaningful and also fun way. Perfect perfect example of uh, showing not telling in a film for sure because it's not like they said, "Oh, his crash is his uh, crash." God bless America. His control is great <laughs> now. Um, they, they didn't have to say that. They they showed how, how good his control was. So kudos to them. But I'm just saying Tim Robbins was great in this movie, man. Like, And obviously him and Susan Sarandon had a long-term relationship after this film. But he, he, he just took on Costner and he took on Sarandon the whole film. And he never backed down one bit. And he was just fun to watch. God damn it. Time out. Hey. 
Why are you shaking me off? Huh? I want to bring the heater to announce my presence with authority. To announce your what? To announce my presence with authority. To announce your fucking presence with authority? This guy's a first ball fastball hitter. He's looking for heat. Oh, yeah? So what? He ain't seen my heat. All right, me. Give him your heat. Why is he always calling me me? I'm the guy driving a Porsche. He is an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's real dumb. He is also in IQ, by the way. Like, real dumb. Real dumb. Well, real he's, a, dumb. He's, a, he's a mechanic in IQ, so... It, he, I mean, he's a smart mechanic, but he's not like... I mean, he's not Albert Einstein or Albert Einstein's niece, which is a beautiful, <laughs> which is a beautiful premise for a '90s rom-com, by the way. I, I'm just gonna keep like bringing it up whenever it pops up on people's like IMDb's now. I think it's really hard to play characters that dumb and still make them likable. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's where uh, they don't lose the plot with him. They they do an excellent job balancing. Yeah. No. It's it's the like exact ratio of stupid to at least like interesting like I, I wouldn't say that i liked him but i i was when he was on screen i was like all right what's gonna happen like i'm intrigued by this dynamic tim robbins is an actor it's so weird because obviously shawshank he's great in that the player the robert altman film he's great in that jacob i forgot Ladder. he was in mystic river mystic river is dope you gotta give him props for that Mystic River, Jacob's Ladder is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people really fuck with the Hut Suckers Proxy. I don't think I ever saw it, but that was pretty like critically acclaimed at least. So, but then he has a lot of just. You remember Nothing to Lose? That yes, Martin, that Martin yes. Lawrence movie. <laughs> that was one of the first films that came to mind. Like, what else is Tim Robbins in? I was like, he he definitely did that Nothing to Lose movie with Martin Lawrence. I remember that. Ooh, buddy, sure. that was. That was a that was a Martin that Lawrence was vehicle. a paycheck. That was a movie, boy. Who was he in Anchorman? Was he in the news anchor battle? He was in the first Anchorman. Right, so that right. Was, that was a good one. He He's was. also in Green Lantern. <laughs> so there's that. So, yeah, he. I I love Tim Robbins, but he had that roller coaster career, boy. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, 1985's Malice in Wonderland, a TV movie. Ooh. But Elizabeth Taylor is also in it. Woo. I mean, heavy hitters right there, boy. And he also he, has Howard the Duck in his uh, film, his film yeah. too. Woof. Yeah, so that's why I don't remember Tim Robbins in a lot of stuff. <laughs> when he hits the out of park, he hits out of the park. And when he hits the mascot, he hits the mascot. Full circle, right there. There it is. Proud of that one. I'm so I'm watching the um I have it on in the background right now, and he's tied up, and, <laughs> and, and like she's like leaning in to read poetry, and he stops and says, "Are we gonna fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> well, he delivered it so great, like yeah, he did. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate us five stars, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow Cat. At cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Show in Mad Love, S H O W I N M A D L O V on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. 
This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained? Also, I want to send another shout out to to Millie because um, when she comes back to Annie at the beginning game after she hooks up with Nuke, she asks how he was, and she's like, "Fucks up, you bitches." That's a that's a hell of a line. It tells you everything you need to know about Nuke right there. Uncontrolled aim, hard, <laughs> fast. Oh shoot, man! I just want to know. My man missed the start because he was in the clubhouse. If if. If the uh, coach had come down one minute earlier or later, would we have witnessed some accidental anal? Because if we're talking about his aim, and it's that bad, and any hole is a goal. (laughs) The hole is the goal, baby. (laughs) If we didn't get one in a hand, that would have been a perfect title. Tim Robinson. Come on the show.